Chapter 18, Part 2 of The Quest of the Historical Jesus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Quest of the Historical Jesus by Albert Schweitzer, translated by William Montgomery. Chapter 18, Part 2 The Position of the Subject at the Close of the Nineteenth Century disposing in this lofty fashion of the connection of events schmiedel and von soden do not find it difficult to distinguish between mark and ur marcus that is to retain just so much of the gospel as will fit to their construction schmiedel feels sure that mark was a skilful writer and that the redactor was quote, a christian of pauline sympathies close quote. according to ur marcus to which Mark chapter 4, verse 33 belongs, the Lord speaks in parables in order that the people may understand him the better. Quote, it was only by the redactor that the Pauline theory about the hardening of the hearts, from Romans chapters 9 through 11, was interpolated in Mark chapter 4, verse 10 and following, and the meaning of Mark chapter 4, verse 33 was thus obscured. Close quote. It is high time that instead of merely asserting Pauline influences in Mark, some proof of the assertion should be given. What kind of appearance would Mark have presented if it had really passed through the hands of a Pauline Christian? Von Soden's analysis is no less confident. The three outstanding miracles, the stilling of the storm, the casting out of the legion of devils, the overcoming of death, from Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and Mark chapter 5, verse 43. The romantically told story of the death of the Baptist, from Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 29. The story of the feeding of the multitudes in the desert, of Jesus' walking on the water, and of the transfiguration upon a high mountain, and the healing of the lunatic boy, all these are dashed in with a broad brush, and offer many analogies to Old Testament stories and some suggestions of Pauline conceptions and reflections of experiences of individual believers and of the Christian community. Quote, All these passages were, doubtless, first written down by the compiler of our gospel. Close quote. But how can Schmiedel and von Soden fail to see that they are heading straight for Bruno Bauer's position? They assert that there is no distinction of principle between the way in which the Johannine and the synoptic discourses are composed. The recognition of this was Bruno Bauer's starting point. They propose to find experiences of the Christian community and Pauling teaching reflected in the Gospel of Mark. Bruno Bauer asserted the same. The only difference is that he was consistent and extended his criticisms to those portions of the Gospel which do not present the stumbling block of the supernatural. Why should these not also contain the theology and the experiences of the community transformed into history? Is it only because they remain within the limits of the natural? The real difficulty consists in the fact that all the passages which von Soden ascribes to the redactors stand, in spite of their mythical coloring, in a closely knit historical connection. In fact, the historical connection is nowhere so close. How can anyone cut out the feeding of the multitudes and the transfiguration as narratives of secondary origin 
without destroying the whole of the historical fabric of the Gospel of Mark? Or was it the redactor who created the plan of the Gospel of Mark, as von Soden seems to imply? But in that case, how can a modern life of Jesus be founded on the Markan plan? How much of Mark is, in the end, historical? Why should not Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi have been derived from the theology of the primitive church just as well as the transfiguration? The only difference is that the incident at Caesarea Philippi is more within the limits of the possible, whereas the scene upon the mountain has a supernatural coloring. But is the incident at Philippi so entirely natural? Whence does Peter know that Jesus is the Messiah? This semi-skepticism is therefore quite unjustifiable, since in Mark, natural and supernatural both stand in an equally good and close historical connection. Either, then, one must be completely skeptical, like Bruno Bauer, and challenge without exception all the facts and connections of events asserted by Mark. Or, if one means to found an historical life of Jesus upon Mark, one must take the gospel as a whole because of the plan which runs right through it, accepting it as historical, and then endeavoring to explain why certain narratives, like the feeding of the multitude and the transfiguration, are bathed in a supernatural light, and what is the historical basis which underlies them. A division between the natural and supernatural in Mark is purely arbitrary, because the supernatural is an essential part of the history. The mere fact that he has not adopted the mythical material of the childhood stories and the post-resurrection scenes ought to have been accepted as evidence that the supernatural material which he does embody belongs to a category of its own, and cannot be simply rejected as due to the invention of the primitive Christian community. It must belong in some way to the original tradition. Oscar Holtzmann realizes that to a certain extent. According to him, Mark is a writer, quote, who embodied the materials which he received from the tradition more faithfully than discriminatingly. That which was related as a symbol of inner events, he takes as history. In the case, for example, of the temptation, the walking on the sea, the transfiguration of Jesus. Again, in other cases, he has made a remarkable occurrence into a supernatural miracle, as in the case of the feeding of the multitude, where Jesus's courageous love and ready organizing skill overcame a momentary difficulty, whereas the evangelist represent it as an amazing miracle of divine omnipotence. Oscar Holtzmann is thus more cautious than von Soden. He is inclined to see in the material which he wishes to exclude from the history not so much inventions of the church as mistaken shaping of the history by mark and in this way he gets back to genuine old-fashioned rationalism in the feeding of the multitude jesus showed quote, the confidence of a courageous housewife who shows how to provide skillfully for a great crowd of children from small resources Close quote. perhaps in a future work oscar holtzmann will be less reserved not for the sake of theology, but of national well-being, and will inform his contemporaries what kind of domestic economy it was which made it possible for our Lord to satisfy with five loaves and two fishes several thousand hungry men.
Modern historical theology, therefore, with its three-quarters skepticism, is left at last with only a torn and tattered gospel of Mark in its hands. One would naturally suppose that these preliminary operations upon the source would lead to the production of a life of Jesus of a similarly fragmentary character. Nothing of the kind. The outline is still the same as in Schenkel's day, and the confidence with which the construction is carried out is not less complete. Only the catchwords with which the narrative is enlivened have been changed, being now taken in part from Nietzsche. The liberal Jesus has given place to the Germanic Jesus. This is a figure which has a little to do with the Markan hypothesis, as the liberal Jesus had which preceded it. Otherwise, it could not so easily have survived the downfall of the Gospel of Mark as an historical source. It is evident, therefore, that this professedly historical Jesus is not a purely historical figure, but one which has been artificially transplanted into history. As formerly in Renan, the romantic spirit created the personality of Jesus in its own image, so at the present day the Germanic spirit is making a Jesus after its own likeness. What is admitted as historic is just what the spirit of the time can take out of the records in order to assimilate it to itself and bring out of it a living form. Frensen betrays the secret of his teachers when, in Hillengenlei, he confidently superscribes the narrative drawn from the quote, latest critical investigations close quote, with the title The Life of the Savior Portrayed According to German Research as the basis for a spiritual rebirth of the German nation. As a matter of fact, the life of Jesus of the manuscript is unsatisfactory, both scientifically and artistically, just because it aims at being at once scientific and artistic. If only Frensen, with his strongly life-accepting instinct, which gives to his thinking, at least in his earliest writings where he reveals himself without artificiality, such a wonderful simplicity and force had dared to read his jesus boldly from the original records without following modern historical theology in all its meanderings he would have been able to force his way through the underwood well enough if only he had been content to break the branches that got in his way instead of always waiting until someone went in front to disentwine them for him the dependence to which he surrenders himself is really distressing. In reading almost every paragraph, one can tell whether Kai Jans was looking, as he wrote it, into Oskar Holtzmann, or P. W. Schmidt, or von Soden. Franzen resigns the dramatic scene of the healing of the blind man at Jericho. Why? Because at this point he was listening to Holtzmann, who proposes to regard the healing of the blind man as only a symbolical representation of the quote, conversion of Zacchaeus. Frenzen's masters have robbed him of all creative spontaneity. He does not permit himself to discover motifs for himself, but confines himself to working over and treating in cruder colors those which he finds his teachers. And since he cannot veil his assumptions in the cautious, carefully modulated language of the theologians, the faults of the modern treatment of the life of Jesus appear in him exaggerated and hundredfold. 
the violent dislocation of narratives from their connection and the forcing upon them of modern interpretation becomes a mania with the writer and a torture to the reader the range of knowledge not drawn from the text is infinitely increased kai yans sees jesus after the temptation cowering beneath the brow of the hill quote, a poor lonely man torn by fearful doubts a man of the deepest distress Close quote. he knows too that there was often great danger that jesus would quote, betray the father in heaven and go back to his village to take up his handicraft again but now as a man with a torn and distracted soul and a conscience tortured by the gnawings of remorse Close quote. the pupil is not content as his teachers had been merely to make the people sometimes believe in jesus and sometimes doubt him he makes the enthusiastic earthly messianic belief of the people tug and tear at jesus himself sometimes one is tempted to ask whether the author in his zeal quote, to use conscientiously the results of the whole range of scientific criticism close quote, has not forgotten the main thing the study of the gospels themselves and is all this science supposed to be new is this picture of jesus really the outcome of the latest criticism has it not been in existence since the beginning of the forties since vice's criticism of the gospel history is it not in principle the same as renan's only that germanic lapses of taste here take the place of gallic and quote, german art for german people close quote, here quite out of place has done its best to remove from the picture every trace of fidelity kai yan's manuscript represents the limits of the process of diminishing the personality of jesus Weisse left him still some greatness something unexplained and did not venture to apply to everything the petty standards of inquisitive modern psychology in the sixties psychology became more confident and jesus smaller at the close of the century the confidence of psychology is at its greatest and the figure of jesus at its smallest so small that friends and ventures to let his life be projected and written by one who is in the midst of a love affair this human life of jesus is to be heart-stirring from beginning to end and quote, in no respect to go beyond human standards close quote. and this jesus who quote, racks his brains and shapes his plans close quote, is to contribute to bring about a rebirth of the german people how could he he is himself only a phantom created by the germanic mind in pursuit of a religious will-o'-the-wisp it is possible however to do injustice to Frenzen's presentation and to the whole of the confident unconsciously modernizing criticism of which he here acts as a mouthpiece these writers have the great merit of having brought certain cultured circles nearer to jesus and made them more sympathetic towards him their fault lies in their confidence which has blinded them to what jesus is and is not what he can and cannot do so that in the end they fail to understand the signs of the times either as historians or as men of the present if the jesus who owes his birth to the Markan hypothesis and modern psychology 
were capable of regenerating the world, he would have done it long ago, for he is nearly sixty years old, and his latest portraits are much less lifelike than those drawn by Weisse, Schenkel, and Renan, or by Keim, the most brilliant painter of them all. For the last ten years, modern historical theology has more and more adapted itself to the needs of the man in the street. More and more, even in the best class of works, it makes use of attractive headlines as a means of presenting its results in a lively form to the masses. Intoxicated with its own ingenuity in inventing these, it becomes more and more confident in its cause, and has come to believe that the world's salvation depends in no small measure upon the spreading of its own assured results, broadcast among the people. It is time that it should begin to doubt itself, to doubt its historical Jesus, to doubt the confidence with which it has looked to its own construction for the moral and religious regeneration of our time. Its Jesus is not alive, however Germanic they may make him. It is no accident that the chief priest of German art for German people found himself at one with the modern theologians and offered them his alliance. Since the sixties, the critical study of the life of Jesus in Germany has been unconsciously under the influence of an imposing modern religious nationalism in art. It has been deflected by it as by an underground magnetic current. It was in vain that a few purely historical investigators uplifted their voices in protest. The process had to work itself out. For historical criticism had become, in the hands of most of those who practiced it, a secret struggle to reconcile the Germanic religious spirit with the spirit of Jesus of Nazareth. It was concerned for the religious interests of the present. Therefore, its error had a kind of greatness. It was, in fact, the greatest thing about it, and the severity with which the pure historian treats it is in proportion to his respect for its spirit. For this German critical study of the life of Jesus is an essential part of German religion. As of old Jacob wrestled with the angel, so German theology wrestles with Jesus of Nazareth, and will not let him go until he bless it, that is, until he will consent to serve it, and will suffer himself to be drawn by the Germanic spirit into the midst of our time and our civilization. But when the day breaks, the wrestler must let him go. He will not cross the ford with us. Jesus of Nazareth will not suffer himself to be modernized. As an historic figure, he refuses to be detached from his own time. He has no answer for the question, Tell us thy name in our speech and for our day. But he does bless those who have wrestled with him, so that, though they cannot take him with them, Yet, like men who have seen God face to face and received strength in their souls, they go on their way with renewed courage, ready to do battle with the world and its powers. But the historic Jesus and the Germanic spirit cannot be brought together except by an act of historic violence, which, in the end, injures both religion and history. A time will come, when our theology, with its pride in its historical character, will get rid of its rationalistic bias. This bias leads it to project back into history 
what belongs to our own time the eager struggle of the modern religious spirit with the spirit of jesus and seek in history justification and authority for its beginning the consequence is that it creates the historical jesus in its own image so that it is not the modern spirit influenced by the spirit of jesus but the jesus of nazareth constructed by modern historical theology that is set to work upon our race therefore both the theology and its picture of jesus are poor and weak its jesus because he has been measured by the petty standard of modern man at variance with himself not to say of the modern candidate in theology who has made shipwreck the theologians themselves because instead of seeking for themselves and others how they may best bring the spirit of jesus in living power into our world they keep continually forging new portraits of the historical jesus and think they have accomplished something great when they have drawn an oh of astonishment from the multitude such as the crowds of a great city emit on catching sight of a new advertisement in colored lights anyone who admiring the force and authority of genuine rationalism has got rid of the naive self-satisfaction of modern theology which is in essence only the degenerate offspring of rationalism with a tincture of history rejoices in the feebleness and smallness of its professedly historical jesus rejoices in all those who are beginning to doubt the truth of this portrait rejoices in the over-severity with which it is attacked rejoices to take a share in its destruction those who have begun to doubt are many but most of them only make known their doubts by their silence there is one however who has spoken out and one of the greatest otto pfleiderer in the first edition of his ur christentum published in eighteen eighty seven he still shared the current conceptions and constructions except that he held the credibility of mark to be more affected than was usually supposed by hypothetical pauline influences in the second edition his positive knowledge has been ground down in the struggle with the skeptics it is brant who has especially affected him and with the partisans of eschatology this is the first advance guard action of modern theology coming into touch with the troops of Rimaris and bruno bauer Flyder accepts the purely eschatological conception of the kingdom of god and holds also that the ethics of jesus were wholly conditioned by eschatology but in regard to the question of the messiahship of jesus he takes his stand with the skeptics he rejects the hypothesis of a messiah who as being a spiritual messiah conceals his claim but on the other hand he cannot accept the eschatological son of man messiahship having reference to the future which the eschatological school finds in the utterances of jesus since it implies prophecies of his suffering death and resurrection which criticism cannot admit Quote, instead of finding the explanation of how the messianic title arose in the reflections of jesus about the death which lay before him close quote, he is inclined to find it quote, rather in the reflection of the christian community upon the catastrophic death and exaltation of its lord after this had actually taken place Close quote. even the markan narrative is not history the skepticism in regard to the main source with which writers like oscar holtzmann schmiedel and von soden conduct a kind of intellectual flirtation is here erected into a principle says Fleiderer, quote, 
it must be recognized that in respect of the recasting of the history under theological influences the whole of our gospels stands in principle on the same footing the distinction between mark the other two synoptists and john is only relative a distinction of degree corresponding to different stages of theological reflection and the development of the ecclesiastical consciousness if only bruno bauer could have lived to see this triumph of his opinion Fleiderer, however is conscious that skepticism too has its difficulties he wishes indeed to reject the confession of jesus before the sanhedrin quote, because its historicity is not well established that is none of the disciples were present to hear it and the apocalyptic prophecy which is added in mark chapter fourteen verse sixty two is certainly derived from the ideas of the primitive church on the other hand he is inclined to admit as possibilities though marking them with a note of interrogation that jesus may have accepted the homage of the passover pilgrims and that the controversy with the scribes about the son of david had some kind of reference to jesus himself on the other hand he takes it for granted that jesus did not prophesy his death on the ground that the arrest trial and betrayal must have lain outside all possibility of calculation even for him all these he thinks came upon jesus quite unexpectedly the only thing that he might have apprehended was quote, an attack of hired assassins close quote. and it is to this that he refers in the saying about the two swords in luke chapter twenty two verse thirty six and verse thirty eight seeing that two swords would have sufficed as a protection against such an attack as that though hardly for anything further when however he remarks in this connection that this has been constantly overlooked in the romances dealing with the life of jesus he does injustice to bart and venturini since according to them the chief concern of the secret society in the later period of the life of jesus was to protect jesus from the assassination with which he was menaced and to secure his formal arrest and trial by the sanhedrin their view of the historical situation is therefore identical with Flyderer's, viz that assassination was possible but that administrative action was expected and is inexplicable but how is this jesus to be connected with primitive christianity how did the primitive church's belief in the messiahship of jesus arise to that question Fleiderer can give no other answer than that of Volkmar and Brandt, that is to say, none. He laboriously brings together wood, straw, and stubble, but where he gets the fire from to kindle the whole into the ardent faith of primitive Christianity, he is unable to make clear. According to Albert Kaltoff, the fire lighted itself. Christianity arose by spontaneous combustion, when the inflammable material, religious and social, which had collected together in the roman empire came in contact with the jewish messianic expectations jesus of nazareth never existed and even supposing he had been one of the numerous jewish messiahs who were put to death by crucifixion he certainly did not found christianity the story of jesus which lies before us in the gospels is in reality only the story of the way in which the picture of christ arose that is to say the story of the growth of the christian community there is therefore no problem of the life of jesus but only a problem of christ 
Kaltoff has not, indeed, always been so negative. When, in the year 1880, he gave a series of lectures on the life of Jesus, he felt himself justified, quote, in taking as his basis, without further argument, the generally accepted results of modern theology, close quote. Afterwards, he became so completely doubtful about the Christ after the flesh, whom he had at that time depicted before his hearers, that he wished to exclude him even from the register of theological literature, and omitted to enter these lectures in the list of his writings, although they had appeared in print. His quarrel with the historical Jesus of modern theology was that he could find no connecting link between the life of Jesus constructed by the later and primitive Christianity. Modern theology, he remarks in one passage with great justice, finds itself obliged to assume, at the point where the history of the church begins, quote, an immediate declension from and falsification of a pure original principle, close quote and that in so doing, quote, it is deserting the recognized methods of historical science, close quote. If, then, we cannot trace the path from its beginnings onward, we had better try to work backwards, endeavoring first to define in the theology of the primitive church the values which we shall look to find again in the life of Jesus. In that he is right, Modern historical theology will not have refuted him until it has explained how Christianity arose out of the life of Jesus without calling in that theory of an initial fall, of which Harnack, Wernle, and all the rest make use. Until this modern theology has made it, in some measure, intelligible how, under the influence of the Jewish messianic sect, in the twinkling of an eye, in every direction at once, Greco-Roman popular Christianity arose, until at least it has described the popular Christianity of the first three generations, it must concede to all hypotheses which fairly face this problem and endeavor to solve it their formal right of existence. The criticism which Kaltoff directs against the positive accounts of the life of Jesus is, in part, very much to the point. He says in one place, quote, Jesus has been made the receptacle into which every theologian pours his own ideas. He rightly remarks that if we follow the Christ backwards from the epistles and gospels of the New Testament right to the apocalyptic vision of Daniel, we always find in him superhuman traits alongside of the human. He insists, quote, Never and nowhere is he that which critical theology has endeavored to make out of him a purely natural man, an indivisible historical unit. The title of Christ had been raised by the messianic apocalyptic writings so completely into the sphere of the heroic that it had become impossible to apply it to a mere historical man. Bruno Bauer had urged the same considerations upon the theology of his time, declaring it to be unthinkable, that a man could have arisen among the Jews and declared, I am the Messiah. But the unfortunate thing is that Kaltoff has not worked through Bruno Bauer's criticism, and does not appear to assume it as a basis, but remains standing halfway, instead of thinking the questions through to the end, as that keen critic did. According to Kaltoff, it would appear that, 
year in year out there was a constant succession of messianic disturbances among the jews and of crucified claimants of the messiahship he says in one place quote, there had been many a christ before there was any question of a jesus in connection with this title Close quote. how does kaltoff know that if he had fairly considered and felt the force of bruno bauer's arguments he would never have ventured on this assertion he would have learned that it is not only historically unproved but intrinsically impossible but kaltoff was in far too great a hurry to present to his readers a description of the growth of christianity and therewith of the picture of the christ to absorb thoroughly the criticism of his great predecessor he soon leads his reader away from the high road of criticism into a morass of speculation in order to arrive by a short cut at greco-roman primitive christianity but the trouble is that while the guide walks lightly and safely the ordinary man weighed down by the pressure of historical considerations sinks to rise no more the conjectural argument which kaltoff follows out is in itself acute and forms a suitable pendant to bauer's reconstruction of the course of events bauer proposed to derive christianity from the greco-roman philosophy kaltoff recognizing that the origin of popular christianity constitutes the main question takes as his starting point the social movements of the time in the roman empire so runs his argument among the oppressed masses of the slaves and the populace eruptive forces were concentrated under high tension a communistic movement arose to which the influence of the jewish element in the proletariat gave a messianic apocalyptic coloring the jewish synagogue influenced roman social conditions so that quote, the crude social ferment at work in the roman empire amalgamated itself with the religious and philosophical forces of the time to form the new christian social movement Close quote. early christian writers had learned in the synagogue to construct personifications the whole late jewish literature rests upon this principle thus the christ became the ideal hero of the christian community quote, from the socio-religious standpoint the figure of christ is the sublimated religious expression for the sum of the social and ethical forces which were at work at a certain period Close quote. the lord's supper was the memorial feast of this ideal hero Quote, as the christ to whose parousia the community looks forward this hero god of the community bears within himself the capacity for expansion into the god of the universe into the christ of the church who is identical in essential nature with god the father thus the belief in the christ brought the messianic hope of the future into the minds of the masses who had already a certain organization and by directing their thoughts towards the future it won all those who were sick of the past and despairing about the present the death and resurrection of jesus represent experiences of the community quote, for a jew crucified under pontius pilate there was certainly no resurrection all that is possible is a vague hypothesis of a vision lacking all historical reality or an escape into the vaguenesses of theological phraseology but for the christian community 
the resurrection was something real, a matter of fact. For the community as such was not annihilated in that persecution. It drew from it, rather, new strength and life. Close quote. But what about the foundations of this imposing structure? For what he has to tell us about the condition of the Roman Empire and the social organization of the proletariat in the time of Trajan, for it was then that the church first came out into the light, we may leave the responsibility with Kaltoff, but we must inquire more closely how he brings the Jewish apocalyptic into contact with the Roman proletariat. Communism, he says, was common to both. It was the bond which united the apocalyptic otherworldliness with reality. The only difficulty is that Kaltoff omits to produce any proof out of the Jewish apocalypses that communism was, quote, the fundamental economic idea of the apocalyptic writers, close quote. He operates from the first with a special preparation of apocalyptic thought, of a socialistic or Hellenistic character. Messianism is supposed to have taken its rise from the Deuteronomic reform as, quote, a social theory which strives to realize itself in practice, close quote. The apocalyptic of Daniel arose, according to him, under Platonic influence. Quote, the figure of the Messiah thus became a human figure. It lost its specifically Jewish traits. Close quote. He is the heavenly, prototypal, ideal man. Along with this thought, and similarly derived from Plato, the conception of immortality makes its appearance in apocalyptic. This Platonic apocalyptic never had any existence, or at least to speak with the utmost possible caution, its existence must not be asserted in the absence of all proof. But, supposing it were admitted, that Jewish apocalyptic had some affinity for the Hellenic world, that it was Platonic and communistic, how are we to explain the fact that the Gospels, which describe the genesis of Christ and Christianity, imply a Galilean and not a Roman environment. As a matter of fact, Kaltoff says, they do imply a Roman environment. The scene of the gospel history is laid in Palestine, but it is drawn in Rome. The agrarian conditions implied in the narratives and parables are Roman. A vineyard with a winepress of its own could only be found, according to Kaltoff, on the large Roman estates. So too the legal conditions. The right of the creditor to sell the debtor with his wife and children is a feature of Roman, not Jewish law. Peter everywhere symbolizes the church at Rome. The confession of Peter had to be transferred to Caesarea Philippi because this town, quote, as the seat of the Roman administration, close quote, symbolized for Palestine the political presence of Rome. The woman with the issue was perhaps Popea Sabina, the wife of Nero, quote, who, in view of her strong leaning towards Judaism, might well be described in the symbolical style of the apocalyptic writings as the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. The story of the unfaithful steward alludes to Pope Calixtus, who, when the slave of a Christian in high position, was condemned to the mines for the crime of embezzlement. That of the woman who was a sinner refers to Marcia the powerful mistress of Commodus, at whose intercession Calixtus was released, 
to be advanced soon afterwards to the bishopric of Rome. Kaltoff suggests, quote, These two narratives, therefore, which very clearly allude to events well known at that time, and doubtless much discussed in the Christian community, were admitted into the gospel to express the views of the church regarding the life story of a Roman bishop which had run its course under the eyes of the community, and thereby to give to the events themselves the church's sanction and interpretation. Kaltoff does not, unfortunately, mention whether this is a case of simple ingenuous or of conscious didactic early Christian imagination. That kind of criticism is a casting out of Satan by the aid of Beelzebub. If he was going to invent on this scale, Kaltoff need not have found any difficulty in accepting the figure of Jesus evolved by modern theology. One feels annoyed with him because, while his thesis is ingenious, and, as against modern theology, has a considerable measure of justification, he has worked it out in so uninteresting a fashion. He has no one but himself to blame for the fact that instead of leading to the right explanation, it only introduced a wearisome and unproductive controversy. In the end, there remains scarcely a shade of distinction between Kaltoff and his opponents. They want to bring their historical Jesus into the midst of our time. He wants to do the same with his Christ. He says, quote, A secularized Christ as the type of the self-determined man who, amid strife and suffering, carries through victoriously and fully realizes his own personality in order to give the infinite fullness of love which he bears within himself as a blessing to mankind. A Christ such as that can awaken to new life the antique Christ type of the church. He is no longer the Christ of the scholar, of the abstract theological thinker with his scholastic rules and methods. He is the people's Christ, the Christ of the ordinary man, the figure in which all those powers of the human soul which are most natural and simple, and therefore most exalted and divine, find an expression at once sensible and spiritual. Close quote. But that is precisely the description of Jesus of modern historical theology. Why, then, make this long roundabout through skepticism? The Christ of Kaltoff is nothing else than the Jesus of those whom he combats in such a lofty fashion. The only difference is that he draws his figure of Christ in red ink on blotting paper, and because it is red in color and smudgy in outline, wants to make out that it is something new. End of chapter 18, part 2